Oh Lord, we need to hear from you. No one else. Lord, I'm but a mouthpiece. And you have something you would like to say to us this morning. So I pray, God, I simply get out of the way. Lord, we need your help to understand. Please, Lord, give us ears to hear and eyes to see in Christ's name. Amen. Again, glad that you are here. For those visiting for the first time, welcome to the Cornerstone Bible Church. I pray that you came here this morning because you want to hear about, you want to glory, you want to worship Christ. You know, there's no one like Christ, no one more satisfying than Jesus. There's no other we can place our hope in. Nowhere else we may go to freely be forgiven, to be given new life, to find rest for our souls. And you may have come in here this morning tired and weary. And I'm not talking about physical tired and physical weariness. I'm talking about spiritual tired, spiritual weariness. But you're in the right place. Because through his word, you will hear of the one and the only one who can give you rest. Christ, as it says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 21, is far above. It's the word there meaning above, exceedingly above, greatly above. He's extensively above. He's stratospherically above. And the opposite is true. Everything else, maybe you came in here with burdens that you're carrying, weighing you down are exceedingly below Him. This is why He's all we need in Him. And everything in Him is inexhaustible. Immeasurable. We're going to run out of superlatives trying to describe the holiness and the righteousness of Christ and His grace and His mercy upon us. This is why only He can say, come to me. In an article published in The Guardian, titled, quote, We're all so exhausted, we need another word to describe how exhausted we feel. Unquote. Stated what I believe to be obvious. Quote, rest is on the other side of exhaustion, promising to be an antidote. But do we even know how to rest? Properly rest with no stimuli. Our dopamine-addicted brains have been jacked up for years on notifications, social media likes, watching Netflix while tweeting, while texting, etc. Neurons drenched in stimuli. Our fight-or-flight response activated. How do we recover? Rest is of a different order. It cannot be rushed. Our bodies will lead us there. Exhaustion is their message, unquote. Though a secular article, being tired and being weary, is a distinctly human experience. And deep down, if we're being honest with ourselves, we know that inherent within us is eternity. Because God placed that there. And while our bodies will experience exhaustion, it's simply a manifestation of a, of a restless soul. The title of the sermon is Satisfaction in Christ Alone, Part 2. Satisfaction in Christ alone, part two. So turn with me to our text, Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. Reading verses 28 to 30. God's word says, come to me. All who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Our three points, the first of which we discussed last week, and if you weren't here last week, I commend and encourage that sermon to you can be found on our website, and our three points are really the three imperatives. In other words, the three commands of this passage. Number one, come. Number two, take. And number three, learn. And what I propose to you this morning 
is what the text so clearly reveals to us, that if you come to Christ, take His yoke, and learn from Him, you will find rest for your souls. Just by way of brief review, we considered verse 28, this this golden verse, one of the most well-known, one of the most precious verses in all of Scripture. Christ says, come to me. Remember the context. This is in the midst of the great rejection of Christ as King. Christ, in, in the, the beginnings of chapter 11, already said that these cities, Chorazin, Capernaum, all these cities, Bethsaida, have all denied me, refused to believe. I've done all these great works and they refuse to repent. So in the midst of that rejection, not only does he praise God the Father for saying, God, I'm glad that you, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm happy and I glory and I praise you for hiding these things from the wise and instead revealing them to infants. Oh God, even then, shows us he's sovereign over salvation. And Christ even says, only through me, through me, I will reveal God. I will reveal God to whom I will. And throughout this rejection, Christ's response to that was, I praise you, Father. Why? Because this is well-pleasing in your sight. And through that rejection come this amazing invitation of verse 28. Come to me. Come to me. And in this verse, it's threefold. There's a command to come. And that's written in a way where there's urgency. Come now. Don't waste time. And there's exclusivity. Come to me. Only me. Not to a religion. Not with my buddies. Not because my parents go to church. Come to me. So there's this command. And it's followed by a condition though. Although it's a, it's a wonderful text that's universal. Come to me all. And you don't, know, you don't need to know Greek to know what all means. All means all. Everyone. Come to me all. But in God's wisdom... In God's sovereignty, this universal appeal, invitation for all is restricted. How can that be? How can, how can Christ invite all, but yet restricted? And restricted to who? Here's the condition. All who are weary and heavy laden. All who are grinded down. All who are beat up. All who are weighed down so much they can't move. They're paralyzed. Because the reality is, if you, don't, if you don't believe you need Jesus, you're not going to go to him. You can be drowning in a pool, and unless in that moment you think, I need help, you're not going to ask for it. And so, Christ commands, and he invites all, yet it's restricted to all who are weary and heavy laden. And in, in contrast to the rest of that text, the people he was talking about, Jewish people, the religious leaders, they all thought they were good. Matter of fact, he describes the people of Capernaum as having this high level of knowledge, so much so they already actually thought they were in heaven because of what they knew about the Bible. He said, no, come as an infant. And we can picture what an infant is. Yeah, they're cute, cuddly. But if left to themselves, they're going to die. They're completely dependent. They're completely reliant. So Christ commands, come to me. There's a condition though. Are you weary? Are you heavy laden? But there's a wonderful consequence. I will give you rest. And in verse 30, we know the type of rest he's talking about is not what you get on your fancy bed, on your purple bed or sleep number bed. Not that kind of rest. It's rest for your souls. And so that brings us to now our second point. Take. The beginning of verse 29 says this. Take my yoke upon you. We'll stop there. This is really interesting. Christ is commanding us to take his yoke. So you come to Christ, Christ requires something of you. And this may seem like a paradox, doesn't it? Because we just talked at length, essentially an entire sermon last week, in our first point, that by coming to Christ, you will find rest. The burden that you've been carrying, Christ will take it off. And then we get to verse 29. Now putting something else back on. I just took this off. 
wait a minute. This is some, some bait and switch. Why do I have to put something else on in the place of what I just took off? So what's going on? A yoke describes a wooden bar over the neck of a pair of animals, joining them to pull together. A yoke is a connector. It connects two things together. In other words, it unites them. So when you come to Christ, you are joined to Christ. And what a promise, because he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. Christ says, I will be with you. And Christ knows this, doesn't he? Because he could have just left it at that. and It would have been fine. I will be with you. But he knows us. He knows our hearts. And he knows how hurried we are and how anxious we are. Which is why we may even ask, well, you say you'll be with me. How long? How long will you be with me? Christ says, always. I will be with you always. So when you take his yoke upon you, this implies something. Submission. This implies something. Obedience. You know, this is the truth and reality that Jesus is your Lord. And you will do what pleases him. You know, putting on... His yoke binds you to Him. It keeps you close to Him. And we see plenty of examples in Scripture of what happens when you stray away from Jesus. You know, we can remember Peter. Just one example. Peter. Man, when he was close to Christ, he walked on water. But when he was far from Him, when he was separated from Him, what did he do? Denied Him. Three times denied him. And Christ is teaching us here, dear church, the nature of true rest. And it's not what the world says rest is. It's actually quite the opposite of what the world says rest is. Because the world says true rest is freedom from responsibility. Freedom from responsibility. True rest is I get to be able to do whatever I want. No one tells me what to do. True rest is I'm not bound to anything. True rest says, I'm the authority. True rest is, I can create my own world. And I can invite in whoever I want in, and I can leave out those who I want out. True rest is, I'm the God of my world. This, dear church, is not true rest. All this does is lead you to unrest. Lead you to tiredness. Weariness, true rest is when you are connected, when you are one, bound with Christ. True rest is living in obedience to what he has called you and what he has created you for. Worship. To glorify him. To exalt him. To, dare I say, prioritize him. This is why you've been created. And if you think about it, you know, just a few months ago, we had, we had, some, we had some storms roll through here. Right? Over the winter, we, you know, I've, I've seen amazing photos, crazy photos of just big hundred plus year old trees just completely uprooted, toppled. Even us, in our home, we had a large tree in our backyard and this thing got uprooted. And if it wasn't, If it wasn't for this trellis, then that tree would have crashed right into our bedroom. So, is that tree really free now that it's uprooted off the ground? Is it free? What about fish? You know, some of you here go fishing. I I confess, I've actually never gone fishing in my life. That's not, that's not a feel, feel sorry for me, but I would like to go at some point. So when you go fishing, is the fish really free when your hook snags it and takes it out of the water? Is it, is it really free? What about a train? Is the train really free when it derails off the tracks? Now the train can go whatever it wants, right? It can go off-roading if it wants. These tracks are too restrictive. I, I got to break free. Like, is that, is that what freedom looks like? Of course not. 
Freedom is being connected and subject to that purpose to which that thing has been created for. To serve its purpose. So dear church, don't be fooled. There's no soul is free and no soul will have rest if it's living in rebellion. If you want to find rest, it's not in doing your own thing. When Christ says, take my yoke upon you, he isn't asking you to wear something that he himself has not worn. Remember Christ's obedience to the point of death, even death on a cross. Christ humbled himself. He did not regard equality with God, a thing to be grasped. He took the form of a servant. For your notes, John chapter 6, verse 38, Christ says, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Romans chapter 15, verse 3, For even Christ did not please himself. So when Christ says, take my yoke upon you, what he's saying is, do what I did. Do what I did. When you come to Christ, there is a denying of your former self. There's a, there's a turning away. In other words, what we would call repentance. There's a taking off of the former and putting something else on when you put on his yoke. It makes no sense, right? To carry what you were carrying before. True Christianity is renewing of your mind. True Christianity is counting the cost. True Christianity is forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. Turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 17. And we'll read through verse 24. It says this, So, I, so this I say, and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. But you did not learn Christ in this way. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. You know, God's standard is perfection. It's holiness. Christ is the only one who met that standard. So he invites you to come, to put on his yoke, to join you to himself, so that you are now joined to him and he is not leaving you. He is right there with you. And there's joy to be had. There was a, a text that was just read during our singing and worship time that in his presence are fullness of it. You know, so fitting that Christ was a carpenter. Surely he made yokes. Surely he took wood, shaped it, molded it, and smoothed it out so that it perfectly fits. Take his yoke upon you in our third and final point. Learn. Back to our text in Matthew 11. Verse 29. Simply put, Christ says, learn from me. Learn from me. Again, the exclusivity of this statement. Learn from me. Don't go anywhere else. Learn from me. Think of the order. There's no putting on his yoke until you come to him. And there's no learning from him until you put on his yoke. In other words, until you wholly submit yourself to the will of the Lord and desire to be obedient and desire righteousness 
and desire holiness, then you will not want to learn from him. And this is the issue. This is the issue. I believe with mainstream religion, mainstream Christianity today, mainstream Christianity loves verse 28. Loves them some rest. I love verse 28. I'm sure you love verse 28 too. But mainstream Christianity does not like, is not feeling verse 29. Why? Because it asks something of you. We love to come to Jesus and find rest. However, the rest being sought after is a worldly rest that doesn't require any heart transformation. It doesn't require any heart change. It doesn't require a renewing of the mind. It's a rest that allows someone to say that they are a Christian, but yet the life that follows it, the things that are prioritized, how they think, how they live, even what they spend their money on, the crowds they hang around, they still talk the same, still living in habitual sin, still partying, still getting drunk. Still lazy at work complaining. Nothing has changed. Oh, then this means they have not truly come. Because you can't, you can't come face to face with Jesus and walk away the same. See, this is what Paul is trying to tell us in Ephesians 2. The life of a Christian is so distinct, he used the imagery of being dead and being alive. Surely you've been to a funeral maybe even an open casket viewing. And when you go to an open casket viewing, I would like to say that you know exactly who in that room is alive and you know exactly who in that room is not alive. It's that distinct. Will it be perfect? Of course not. But that life is different. Yes, definitely come as you are, but guaranteed, because Christ says so, you're not going to stay as you are. Oswald Chambers says this, quote, personal contact with Jesus alters everything. The will resolutely lets go of everything, unquote. You're different. You know, we can miss this rest, dear church, because we want to trust Christ as Savior but not submit to him as Lord. We've somehow compartmentalized Jesus into different sections of what we like about Jesus and what we don't like about Jesus, as if we, as if we actually get a say. You know, I, I, I think it's a symptom. Just my thoughts, right? My, my own commentary, if you will. I think it's a symptom of our culture because I feel like we get a vote. We get to vote on the Jesus I like. Yeah, I'm cool with the, the, the Jesus who invites me to come and get rest for your soul, but I'm not cool with the Jesus that says, put on my yoke. Put on my yoke. We don't get a vote. Christ says, Lord has the right, and within his own volition. And you know what else he did in his own volition? He set his affection on you. No one forced him to do that. He said, I will have you. You are my bride. I paid the dowry. No one's going to get in the way. I will have you. And I'm not going to let go. And when we realize these things, now we're brought to our knees. We're left, why? We're left singing what we just sung, Amazing Grace. There's no adjectives to describe what that is. And Christ says here, don't just learn from me, learn me. Learn me. I'm the truth, Christ says. And John 8, 31 says there, so Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine and you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. John 17, verse 3 says this, this is eternal life that they may know you the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Christ is the subject. Christ is also the subject matter expert. So do you know him? Do you know him? Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me with childlike 
humility like an infant with nothing to offer. You know, well, the obedient, righteous, holy life, will that be easy? Of course not. It's amazing. Sometimes I I talk to young believers and I'm not sure where they get that. I'm not sure who told them that. That the Christian life would be easy. Of course it will be hard. There will be difficult times. Christ tells us in very clear terms, Matthew 7, 4, the way is hard that leads to life. Oh, dear church, but when you come to Christ and you put on His yoke and you learn from Him, then the difficulty of this life is going to feel like this, what Paul says. 2 Corinthians 4, this light and momentary affliction. It's preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So coming to Jesus for rest doesn't shield us from afflictions. What it does is it transforms them. It transforms our afflictions from fear-dominating and anxiety-producing and hopeless to light and momentary. Hoping in the God of hope makes all the difference. You know, coming to Jesus and learning from Him allows you now to consider it all joy. So you can read James chapter 1 and not smirk, not roll your eyes, and think about, why does He say to consider it all joy when you encounter various trials? That makes no sense to me. Oh, but when you come to Christ and find, find rest in Him, oh, you can consider it all joy. Because you know, because God's Word tells you, that joy is not constricted. It's not dependent upon circumstances. That's happiness. Happiness is dependent on circumstance, but not joy. Oh, you can have joy while you're crying, and you can have joy while you're down. Because God's Word tells us you won't be shaken. You know, what's so sad is we like elevators. Christians love elevators and escalators. We like elevator or escalator Christianity. We come to Christ. We want the rest that he offers. We want to enter that rest. Consider the elevator, right? Just sanctified imagination, if you will. We want to enter that rest, the elevator, and then we want to simply just press the button and be taken up, taken up to glory. You know, on the way up, maybe you'll talk to a few people, or maybe now that you're in the elevator, you're going to be like, well, I'm kind of shy, so I'm just going to, I'm going to stand in the corner and I'm going to gut it out until I get to the top and not get to know anybody Not hang out with anybody. Elevator. Christianity. I don't have to do anything. I just have to get in. Press the button. You know what's so sad? Is there are too many. Too many Christians who have this view. Of the Christian life. Press the button. No effort required on your part. As H.B. Charles puts it. Quote. Jesus don't do elevators. Jesus says, you got to take the stairs. Unquote. Oh, and we don't like stairs, do we? Nothing more frustrating than when you get into an elevator and someone comes in and presses the button, but it's one floor up. And I'm like, bro, take the stairs, man. Take the stairs. And I actually, I got a little away from my script. Let me get back to it. I got a little lost in that elevator analogy. So sanctification is not like the elevator. It's taking the stairs. And taking the stairs takes effort. Taking the stairs makes you sweat. Taking the stairs starts burning your muscles. Taking the stairs is hard. But you know what else is true about taking the stairs? It builds strength in you. It builds resistance. It builds faith. It builds trust because as you keep walking up the stairs, you realize, dear Christian, that you can't do it on your own. Oh, you can only get so far and you can't do it. You're going to realize that really quick. 
Oh, and you can try, but at some point you're going to give up. And that's what makes Christ so glorious. Because he knows that. Which is why he has joined himself to you via a yoke. So you are now attached to him and you will make it all the way up to glory because he's going to carry you. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 says this, So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It's a mystery. God's sovereignty, your responsibility. Just because it's a mystery to us, we don't necessarily know how that all intertwines. Does it make them less true? Oh, they're twin truths. They do not contradict and they're glorious truth. So Christ says, learn from me. And how do you learn from me? Through my word. How do you learn from me? Through the fellowship of his people. How do you learn from me? Through communing with him. In prayer, how do you learn from me? Christ says, sit under the teaching and the preaching of God's word. Don't be entertained. We talked about that last week. You can walk in angry. And if you hear... I, everything and everything except Jesus, you're going to walk out the door, still be angry. Nothing has changed. You just got entertained for a little while. You know, it's interesting, this word, learn, it's the same word for disciple. Learner. You know, just a practical application. And this is why discipleship is so vital where you can meet one-on-one with another Christian, mature in their faith. They can teach you the truth of Scripture. They can walk with you through life's trials. Because taking the stairs with Jesus is not easy. But through the lens of Christ's sovereignty and His providence, I can look back at my life, and surely you can too, and praise God. That even though I'm not what I want to be, I can still praise God and thank Him because I'm not what I used to be. As we seek Him, as we learn from Him, 1 John chapter 5, verse 3, this will be a reality for you, dear Christian. For this is the love of God. In other words, this is how you know you're a Christian. That we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. This is how you know. You love him, you obey his commands, and what makes his commands not burdensome is turn back to Matthew 11 if you're already there and the rest of verse 29. This is what makes his commands not burdensome. Because Christ says, for I am gentle. And humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. What's amazing, this is one of the very few verses in all of Scripture that actually describe the heart condition of Jesus. You know, if you were to be asked, like, hey, what do you, how do you describe the heart of Jesus? You know, we will say loving, right? We will say kind, generous, humble, all these things. But here, it's very Specific, Jesus tells us this is the condition of his heart. It is gentle. It is humble. In other words, it is meek and lowly. Matthew 5, 5, blessed are the meek. In other words, blessed are the gentle. And meekness, dear church, is not weakness. Because Jesus isn't weak. As I was preparing for this, I thought back to my 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 discipler when I was a, a very young new in the faith full of pride who man I thought I knew it all and we were going through this particular text and my former discipler he he wasn't all about uh, self-esteem yeah I didn't really care much for your self-esteem 
He just wanted to tell you the truth. And so he eloquently said to me, as a dumb teenager, Jesus ain't weak, you weak. And that's stuck in my mind, because weakness is not meekness. Meekness, gentleness, it's power. Not only is it power, it's strength under control. But it's not just power and strength under control. It's power and strength under control for the benefit of others. Not for his own benefit. The satiety of God is such that he doesn't need anything. He doesn't need us. He doesn't even need our worship. We get to do that. That's a privilege. Because Christ says, if you will not worship me, the rocks will cry out. I will get the worship I am due. So he doesn't need anything from us. But yet, his meekness, his gentleness, his power, his strength is completely under control for your benefit. For your benefit. And these traits help us understand why his yoke is easy. Why his burden is light. He's not harsh. He's not filled with pride. He will not oppress us or give us a burden too great for us to carry. Jesus presented a striking contrast to his Jewish audience who were well acquainted with the Pharisees who were harsh and proud. The antithesis of Jesus to be yoked with one who is gentle, who is humble, and to also learn to take the lowest place. You know, the word humble there or lowly, it means to be brought down. You know, it pictures an earth mover. We've had a lot of construction here the last number of years. And surely you've seen a patch of dirt that's rugged, uneven, and you see the earth mover scraping it back and forth until it's smooth, until it's flat. This is what this word humility pictures. You're being flattened. All the scrapes and the bumps getting smoothed out of you. See, the glorious reality is that Christ wanted to. He was willing to to be brought down. He came to seek and save that which was lost. This was his mission. He didn't come to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. And only Jesus can demonstrate ultimate strength and then apply that same unique ultimate strength in the most tender of ways. The same Jesus who has the power to throw down tables in the temple or to expel demons from the possessed, or to even call a dead man out of the grave, this Jesus also has the capacity to show tenderness to those who are fragile, delicate. Turn to Matthew 12, just the next page over. Matthew 12, verse 20. Quoting here from Isaiah. A battered reed, he will not break off. And a smoldering wick, he will not put out. Do you feel like a bruised and battered reed? Or do you feel like a smoldering wick? Maybe you came in depressed. Discouraged. Feel like giving up. Just feel beat up by the world. I feel weak. Maybe you feel like a failure. Maybe you feel like a spiritual loser. Defeated by your sins. Discouraged by how many times and how often you fail. And you see why the gospel of Christ is good news. Because the world will take a bruised reed and say it's worthless. Stop playing it. The world will look at a smoldering wick and say it's worthless. You might as well throw it out. But not Jesus. He's a friend to the broken. Oh, he binds up the brokenhearted. He will help you. He will uphold you. He is gentle and lowly. And though you will grow faint, he won't. And in the strength of his might, 
Dear Christian, you can walk up the stairs. Because when we come to Jesus with our weakness and our failures, he doesn't yell at you. He isn't angry with you. He paid for those failures. He paid for your sins on the cross. He is loving, he's accepting, and he wants to help us. Which is why he's inviting. Come. Come to me. He understands we are bruised reeds, that we are beaten and broken and hopeless and worthless, just like a bruised reed. But Jesus came not to help the strong, but to help the weak. He didn't come to help those ablaze with their own glory, their own greatness, but to help those who feel like smoldering candle wicks, like they have barely any flame at all. Jesus won't break you. He will strengthen you. He won't snuff you out. Rather, he's going to fan this flame. If you are truly his, if you are in him, Christ will fan this flame through his spirit that is living inside of you because he's gentle. He's humble. You know, (laughs) Jesus is such the opposite of just what we what we get today, what we hear today, what we may even listen to, certainly what pops up on things like YouTube and Twitter and all that stuff. Christ is so not a prosperity preacher. Not. Because verse 30, he makes something very clear. If you come to me, I'm going to put burden on you. And you're probably like, well, that doesn't sound inviting. Yeah, Jesus isn't promising health and wealth and prosperity and power and popularity and vacations. You may think, what kind of invitation is this? You come to me, I'm going to put something on you. I'm going to put my burden on you. It's a glorious invitation because he says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Man, we love us some pronouns, don't we? Love us some pronouns. You may even get in trouble if it's not in your email signature. We love us some pronouns. Jesus, he, he, he is the pronoun. You know, <laughs> sanctified imaginations. Okay? If Jesus had an email, okay, it would be, Jesus Christ, I am him. Okay? I am him. And here, Jesus is like, hey, you love some pronouns. And again, well, not here, but if you live in a particular state, using the wrong one, man, get you in trouble. Get, might even get you fined. Okay? Here Christ says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Well, here's a pronoun for you. Jesus says, of this yoke and, if, and its burden, he says, this is mine. My burden. My yoke. No one else's. You can't blame the world. You can't blame your family. You can't blame the job that you hate. You can't even blame the state of California. No, Christ says, this is my burden. Mine. But it's confusing because we naturally think, how can a burden be light? How can a yoke be easy? It should be the opposite because if a burden is light, then it's really not a burden. If a yoke is easy, then it's really not a yoke, is it? Jesus said, count the cost. Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, take up your cross and follow me. You are to grow in the grace and knowledge of him. You are to count it as joy when you encounter various trials. You love me, the world will not love you. You live for me and stand up for me in this world, will hate you. You can't blame the devil. You can't blame your spouse. You can't blame the world. God says, this is my burden. I did it. You see, this already feels heavy. This already feels unbearable. But he says, it is easy. It is light. How can that be? Because for those who come to Christ, this is the reality. Because he is with you. He upholds you. He's at work in you. Christ carried the heaviest part already. Christ bore the wrath meant for you. 
He carried the heaviest load on your behalf. That's why it's light for you. And when you are yoked to Him, that's why it's easy. Not in the way the world thinks it's easy, because the world views easy as, I don't have to do anything. I just sit back, relax, and everyone else does stuff. Oh no. We talked at length already of what's required for you, but it will be easy in a sense that the yoke He puts on you is specifically for you. Which means it fits you perfectly. Jesus carved it. Jesus molded it. He shaped it just for you. This yoke isn't one size fits all. You know, to conclude, one of the more memorable, I guess I would say it's a way to describe it, experiences of my life, difficult, I've probably shared elements of this with some of you, so bear with me. Just vividly remember just graduating from college, commissioned into the Air Force, and was able to do what I thought was my dream job, the coolest job in the world, fly airplanes. I was ready to see the world. I was ready to leave my hometown. I was ready to leave my family, my church, because this was my dream. So when I drove cross-country to my first base in Columbus, Mississippi, and you may be thinking, where? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I quickly realized this was not the dream I thought. Matter of fact, this was a nightmare. There was a level of loneliness I had never experienced before. There was a level of depression I only read about. I had no fellowship. I had no church in a place where the tea was really sweet when I first got there. But as time went on, it got a little bit more bitter. The thought of all-you-can-eat catfish was really cool to me. And then it started to taste not so good anymore. I got there in the wintertime, and then the southern summer hit, and I realized, who can live here? I mean, houses are cheap, and gas is cheap, but do you think in that moment that even mattered? Did that even matter in that moment? I was running away, chasing the world, and I even questioned God. I remember in my small studio, I questioned God, why are you doing this to me? Why are you doing this to me? I was so prideful. I told the Lord. I told the Lord. Okay? I did nothing but serve you. I was faithful to your church. I even went through discipleship one and two. What did I do wrong? Why are you punishing me? Why is this not working out? I don't want to move back. <laughs> now I look back. Through the lens of God's providence, God's sovereignty, and say, Thank you, Lord, that you know better than me. You know what? Initially looked to me as negative and a punishment and a burden and a yoke, and even with all of its difficulty, that wooden yoke was sanded down. It fit me perfectly, it was smooth, it didn't have any splinters, it shaped me. It molded me. It sanctified me. It changed the way I think. Renewed my mind. God knows what he's doing. And after a year or so, resisting God, submitted myself to his will. He made it clear to me he wanted me back. And I remember driving back home, and I was passing through, I think it was Amarillo, Texas. Just driving back cross-country. So I was in Amarillo, Texas, driving back, and my sister called me. And as we were talking, because obviously I have nothing but time on the road now, and she asked, so what are you going to do? Where are you going to live? And in casual conversation, I told her, I don't, I don't know. Maybe I'll live in Sacramento. I went to school there. I liked it there. I enjoyed my time there. 
I knew some brothers here. There was a church here that cared for me while I was in college there. Maybe that's where I'll go. And her response was, hey, you may want to reach out to Nick. Do you know him? The church is praying about planting a church there. So if you were to tell me all of what the Lord would do in the last almost 17 years, I would not believe you. It was for my good. For his glory. And through all the difficulties, all the tears and trials, I can tell you, it is well with my soul. Because his yoke is easy. And his burden is light. So dear church, come to him. Trust his heart. He knows what he's doing with you. He's calling you to serve. He's calling you to live a life of obedience. He's calling you to be holy as he is holy. He's calling you to take up your cross and follow him. He's calling you to deny yourself. He's calling you to fix your eyes on him. He's calling you to pursue him. Prioritize him above all else. He's calling you to himself. And in him and only him, you will find rest for your souls. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we are tired and we are weary. And in you and in you alone can we find rest for our souls. Oh Lord, your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. It can pierce right through the heart. And if piercing to the heart is what was needed this morning, I pray that you do it. I pray, God, that you do the work that only you can do and save. And I pray, God, that through your word, that you have stirred the hearts of your people to have a clearer vision of you so that they may go to you and only you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.